0: It's great to see you today. I hope you had a great week. The decisions that you make, that's what's going to determine your destiny, your future. One decision, the most important decision, is your relationship with God. That's going to determine your eternity. I think the second most important decision that you make in life is whether or not to get married And then, who to marry? There's not going to be anything that's going to affect your life more than that. And we see the evidence of poor decisions because about half of all marriages ended in divorce. So, apparently some decisions weren't handled right. There's a lot of broken hearts. There's a lot of broken lives, a lot of broken homes. And it's it's a big problem Uh, in our country and in our lives. People marry for the wrong reasons. Nobody says before you get married, let me give you some guidelines and principles to help you find the right person. You don't get too much of that. So we try to figure it out on our own without gaining wisdom from other people. And it's the most important decision you ever make. We'll go... 16 years of studying in school to get a job. The most important decision you make is who you marry. That's going to affect your life way more than what job you train for. And we don't go through 16 years of training on how to make sure we marry the best person for us and that we can be the best person for them. And politicians say families are number one. But our society is not set up that way. It's just wishful thinking a lot of times. So I'm going to talk about how to find the love of your life. And if you're married, you're going to say, well, how does that relate to me? You know, I'm already married. You're going to learn some things today that will probably help you to realize why you sometimes have certain type of conflicts within your marriage. And over the next few weeks, we're going to go over things to help you make those things better. If you're divorced, you're probably going to hear some things today that make you say, I understand why I went through that divorce. Things are going to be a lot clearer to you. And it should help prepare you for in the future if you get married again. If you don't plan to ever marry again, what I'm going to share today will give you wise counsel with other people. Because actually, you're here for a purpose. Everybody's here in life. For reason, and even in the church today, for a purpose. And God wants you to use your wisdom to make this a better world. And the things you learned, you want to be able to share it to other people. Sometimes you go to church and you learn something just for the sake of a friend that you have that needs that wise advice, that encouragement that you can give them. There are people that believe if I'm a Christian, I'm going to just pray and ask God to send me that person. That he's meant for me to be with. And they pray that. That person does not exist. That person does not exist. There is not one person in the world that God meant for you to be with that person. Doesn't work that way. What we want to do is we want to blame it on God that God's the one that does that. Instead of saying it's a choice I made. Whoever you end up with, that's a choice that you made. There's no Bible verse that says God has a perfect person for you. The Bible teaches you how to find the right type of person. It gives you guidelines and principles. But the Bible never says, marry so-and-so. It doesn't tell you who to marry. That's a choice you make. That's a choice that you make. It's 100% on you. It's 100% on me, for better or for worse. So... God wants us to learn the great principles of how to go about that in the right way so that we make the right choice. But here's the good news and the bad news at the same time. The good news is God allows you to make that choice. No matter who it is, what it is, whether you disagree with what the Bible says you should do, whatever, he allows you 100% to make that choice. That's good news. The bad news is God allows you 100% to make that choice. <laughs> and we make the choice, like I said, for better or for worse. And God wants you to build lives on great principles that will help you. But we don't always listen to him. We don't always do it. We sometimes do our own thing. In Proverbs 3, 6, it says, Seek God's will in all you do, and he will direct your paths. Sometimes we don't want to seek God's will in all we do. Sometimes we want to think about how do I feel about it. And if you're honest, sometimes the way you feel about it isn't going to be the same as what you read in the Bible. And then it puts you in a dilemma. Am we going to seek God and do it his way? Or am I going to do it my way? Do I trust me the most or do I trust God the most? I don't know about you, but all the problems I found myself in had to do with me trusting me and not doing what maybe the scriptures would say or something. So God does guide you. He wants you to make good decisions. So I'm going to talk a little bit first about how does God guide me? I would like to believe that God guides me, but how? How does that take place? Well, one way that God guides you in your notes know, is through the Bible. As you're reading the Bible, it gives you guidelines and principles. The Bible will show you what type of person you should marry, in Psalms 119, it says, God's word is a flashlight to light the path ahead of me and keep me from stumbling. The things I learn in the Bible, they let me know a little bit about what I should do in the future. It's much easier to look back and say what I should have done. It's harder to make the right step into the future. But as I read the Bible, it gives me these guidelines and principles. If I apply those, I should have a better life than I would if I didn't apply them. So it's very important that I read the Bible and understand what it's saying. But like I said, the Bible doesn't tell you who to marry. It just gives you principles and guidelines. That means I could still maybe make some big mistakes. I, I believe the Bible This is the type of person that I should be with, but is that enough? The second way that God guides you is through impressions. The Holy Spirit Gives you impressions. Like sometimes, let's talk about dating. I can know from the Bible what type of person I should be with. And I can get an impression like, and maybe this has happened to you before, like I have a good impression about this person. I, like something inside me tells me that they're right for me. You get these impressions from God. It says in Psalm 32.8, I will instruct you and guide you along the best pathway for your life. I'll advise you and watch your progress. We have a certain security that God's guiding us, uh, leading us. You get these impressions, these feelings inside that say that seems right. But let me tell you this. You never know for sure if that impression's right. So you're still kind of on shaky ground. So I'm never going to say, I got this impression, so therefore, it's right. The impression could be wrong. It could be based on a movie I saw and how that affected me emotionally. It could be based on uh, my hormones at the time. It could be based on the environment that I'm in. There's all kinds of things that can give you an impression. So just because you have an impression that this might be the right person for me doesn't mean that they're the right person for you. But it's something to consider. The second thing is circumstances. In Romans 8, 28, it says, God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. So you're loving God. You're committed to him. And God sometimes puts you in the right place at the right time. And you're there. And you meet that person. Sometimes circumstances are just done in such a way that you say, wow, that seems like that was God. Like how did the circumstances just work out like that? And when you have those circumstances working out and that impression together and you're reading the Bible and they're the type of person that you can tell from Scripture God would want you to go toward, then you start thinking, okay, this is, you know, this starts to feel like maybe this is the real thing. But there again, you can't only go by circumstances. Sometimes circumstances work out in a way, but if you read the Bible, you know from the Bible, this is not what I should do. You can't rely on circumstances alone, just like you can't rely on impressions alone, but they can be a way that God works. In Scripture, you'll see times that God works through circumstances. So it is one of the routes. But I wouldn't rely on that 100%. Another one is through research and reason, your mental capabilities. God didn't give you intelligence just to tell you, don't use it. So a lot of times you have to think like, Does this make sense? It's using your mind. Does this make sense? If I'm on a train track and the train's coming, I don't start praying, God, what do you want me to do? I get off the track. There is no need to pray. There are some things that would be foolish to spend time praying about. Have you ever heard that? What you're praying right now is pretty stupid. Have you ever heard that before? Sometimes it is. Sometimes you're praying about something when God says, stop praying and get off the track. You'll read in the Bible where he's told that to people. Stop praying and get off your butts and do something. So you use logic. Sometimes you just have to use the brain that God gave you and go for it. Like, would you start a business and never do any research at all about how that business works? I mean, I want to say, obviously, no. Obviously, no. You don't start a business and invest money and your life into something without first understanding the business and how it works. That's a recipe for disaster, right? Then why would I go into marriage without doing research, without spending time with that person, knowing what they're really like, finding out what their family's like? Why is that important? Because they probably learn their ways of conflict resolution and stuff like that in the family they grew up in without knowing more about them, without checking out their finances. Now, it tells you a lot about a person. Let me see your finances. If someone is always in debt and this and that, you need to think about that. Are they in debt because they can't survive in Southern California and they've had to go in debt a little bit? Or are they in debt because they're wild on their spending and have no self-control But you need to know those things. Use your mind because whatever decision you make in marriage, it's going to affect your life for the rest of your life. It's going to make a difference. In Proverbs 18, 13, it says, it is stupid to decide before knowing the facts. I tell my kids, like little kids, oh, don't call somebody stupid. And then in the Bible, God is calling some of us stupid. It is stupid to decide before knowing the facts. So what is God saying about this? Use your brain. That's what it means. Use your brain. It's not spiritual to say, I'm not going to use my brain. I'm just going to pray. That's not spiritual. God says it's stupid. It's stupid to decide before knowing the facts. Do you pray? Absolutely you pray. But you use your brain. The fifth one is through advice from other Christians. If you especially uh, you should always get advice from other people, right? But sometimes the newer you are in your faith, the less you really know the Bible, it could take eight years to master the Bible. So what do you do is you ask people that know it. You go to people, you get wise advice from other people because they can save you a lot of heartache. So the idea is there's like a law of unity. Like you want to get married, you want to find the right person. You want to be guided. There's like a law of unity. The Bible describes what type of person I should be in marriage. It describes what type of person I should be looking for. And is my impressions in unity with that? Are the circumstances in unity with that? Are are the wise advice from people I really respect in unity with that? Does logically, is it, you know, it's like using everything that God gave you to make a healthy decision. So God does guide you and he wants you to use everything he's given you. In Proverbs eleven nine, 9, it says the wisdom of the righteous can save you. I want other people to bounce things off because their wisdom can save me from making a mistake. People can give Other people can give you wise counsel in a business situation that you don't find it in the Bible. You know, because... Like I said before, you know, the Bible doesn't tell you what university to go to. It tells you how to act at the university. The Bible doesn't tell you who to marry. It tells you how to act as a husband, how to act as a wife, what type of person you should marry. You know, the Bible doesn't tell you what job to pick, you know, but it tells you how to act at work. It tells you what type of worker to be. So what I'm trying to say is you can't just read the Bible and get all those answers. So it gives you some basic principles, but it sure does help to have a good friend that you could say, what do you think about this business opportunity? Someone that I respect in business. And say, what do you think about this? And let him bounce up. Because after talking to him, you might find out, ooh, maybe this isn't so good after all. Or maybe after talking to him or her, you might find out like, wow, I'm just, I'm, this is like a gold mine wow, I can't pass up this opportunity because you're talking to someone that has wisdom in that field. Same way with marriage. Do you think this is a good person for me? People that you trust, that you know are solid and love you and will lead you in the right direction. And they might have some advice to give you that could help you make, is this the right way to go or not? So the wisdom of the righteous can save you. They can help you in a marriage crisis after you're married. Any major decision, you should take in all of the ways that God guides you to make that decision. And with marriage, we're saying it's the second most important decision you're ever going to make. You know, first is where do I stand with God? After that, who am I going to spend the rest of my life with? That's more important than your job. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, God is not the author of confusion, which means if God's not the author of confusion and I'm confused about what I should do, that means I need to give it more time. Maybe the other person is set. They're ready to get married. But you're still confused about it. Give it more time. Give it more time. Because once you make that commitment, it's kind of like, you can't give it any more time now. You're in. So it's saying, you know, wait till you know. Give it more time doesn't mean procrastinate. There are people that, here's how I would describe their life and relationships. Here's what they do. They're in the buffet line of life, of relationships. And they get to the beginning of the buffet and they say, I don't know if I want to put salad on my plate because there might be something better up there. And I want the good stuff. Then you go to the vegetables and the starches, pasta, potatoes. This stuff looks good. But if I fill my plate with this cup, I might be missing out on what's really good. Then you get to the next part, next part. Before you know it, you're at the end of the line with the empty plate. That's how a lot of people are. I'm saying that's not being Christian. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you're really seeking the answers. You're in a relationship. You're just not sure yet. You're seeking the answers. You're not quick to jump into something without knowing that, yes, This is the right thing to do. So you can't just go by your feelings at the time. Here's how God tends to work. Not all the time. You can't put God in a box. But you'll realize that most of the time this is how God works. It's like a Polaroid picture. You know, you take the picture with the Polaroid camera. And at first it's just kind of blank white. And you're looking at it and it slowly starts fading in instead of fading out. It slowly starts fading in. And the picture gets clearer and clearer and clearer the more time you give it. That's what happens a lot of times with us. We feel like, what should I do? And it's not clear yet. But over seeking counsel with others, over reading the Bible, praying about it, thinking about it, talking to people, and giving it a little bit more time, it starts getting clearer and clearer and clearer over time. And then soon you say, okay, I know what I should do now. So I'm just saying, give it the time that it needs so that you can make the right decision. Now, like I said earlier, God doesn't say, Jimmy, I've got the perfect person for you. First of all, there is no perfect person. And if they were perfect, they wouldn't want me, right? But we think that God has this perfect person for us. Out of 6 billion people in the world, 7 billion people in the world, there's a lot of people I could be happy with, okay? But I make a choice Out of those people, who do I choose to be happy with for the rest of my life? That's my choice. But there's a lot of people that you can make a choice with. And when people have this romantic idea that God has this perfect person for me, think about it like this. Well, first of all, it messes you up in this way. When you're married and now you're having a hard time with somebody, what do you start thinking? Maybe I married the wrong person. No, there is no right or wrong person. You can't marry a right or wrong person. Why? Because it's a freedom of choice. It's a freedom of choice. So who did you marry? You married the person that you chose to marry. It's not right, it's not wrong. It's a choice that you made. Now, you could say, "I don't think I followed all of God's guidelines." That's another choice you made. That's a different choice that you made, not to follow all of his guidelines. But this is who I chose to marry. For better or for worse. And I'm the one that said that for better or for worse. That came out of my mouth. But if you have this romantic idea that God did it, then like God has a perfect person for you. Out of 7 billion people in the world, do you think that maybe somebody's going to disobey God? And say, I don't want to marry this person. So then what happens is, let's say I'm that somebody. So I don't marry the person I was supposed to, either by mistake or disobedience, and marry somebody else. So now I'm out of God's will. I'm married to somebody that wasn't supposed to marry him. So now the person I was supposed to marry ends up marrying him because I'm not available. Now she's out of God's will and messing up his life because he was supposed to marry her because wasn't, he wasn't supposed to marry that girl because that's who I was supposed to be with. But I'm with her and she was supposed to marry him, but she's with me. So now he marries somebody else and it's a chain reaction. And soon everybody in the world is disobeying God. That's how ridiculous it is when people have these type of thoughts that God has this one person perfect for me. And there again, it removes you from the real responsibility that is, I made a choice to marry this person. And that's what the real truth is. And if we know the truth, then we can deal with the truth in a normal way. Sometimes Christians are really weird and they come up with weird ideas and stuff that have nothing to do with God. If it's weird, just know that it's not from God. It's just going it be. So I want to talk about guidance on finding the right mate. Okay, I know the Bible has some guidelines and stuff, but there's guidance on how I can find the right mate. Number one in your notes is have spiritual compatibility. Be on the same wavelength with someone spiritually. Be one with them spiritually. I'm going to talk about this. When I start out, this might even sound condemning. Listen to these verses. Do not unite yourself with an unbeliever, for they are not fit mates for you. Can a believer share life with an unbeliever? Now, that's hard to hear because God loves everybody. Why would he tell me not to marry someone that doesn't believe in Jesus? And I know people that don't believe in Jesus that are better people than some people I know that believe in Jesus. So this is a dilemma for me. So it can't be about morals. It can't be about morals because if it's about morals, what about the, the person that doesn't believe that live in a better moral life than the person that does believe? Why would he say this? And why would he say that we're to love everybody as much as we love ourselves, but don't marry them? What's the reasoning behind this? Well, what happens is as a believer... What does it mean when you become a Christian? That's the day that you said to Jesus, you know, I give you my life. I'm going to follow you from now on. Now, what happens when you make that commitment? God, I'm going to follow you from now on. You're married to someone that hasn't made that commitment. In marriage, how many decisions are you going to make over the next 40 or 50 years, 60 years? And if I'm, commit- if I'm a Christian, here's what it puts me in. Okay, God, I'm going to follow you. And then... She wants to do something that I know. The Bible says that's not the way to go. So what's going to happen? Well, because I'm going to follow God no matter what, because I gave him my life. I didn't give her my life. I gave God my life. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is nothing less or nothing more than a person that says, okay, God, I surrender. I'm yours. So if I'm his, I cannot obey her. I cannot do it. The Bible says over and over, you must obey God over anybody else. So it puts me in a dilemma. So I see what God says about child rearing, and she wants to raise the kids in a way, and I'm having a fit. We cannot do that. And you know what? I can't back down. We'll talk about God, what God said, and I believe it. Now, if you don't really believe it, you just do whatever you want to. I'm only talking to people that have said, God, I give you my life. If you haven't said that, what I'm saying right now has nothing to do with you. Because you know why? You'll never be spiritually united to anybody. Because what happens, if I've never given my life to God, she's never given her life to God. When we have all these decisions to make, I'm making decisions based on what I think is best. She's making decisions based on what she thinks is best. So we're always going to argue. We're always going to fight about it. Because no two people are the same. It's guaranteed arguments, guaranteed fights because we're not on the same page because I'm on my page, she's on her page. But when two people are committed to God and the Bible, I love the fact that Tanya, my wife, has surrendered her life to Jesus. You know what I love about that is when it comes to making decisions about child rearing, we see what the Bible says and that's what we do. We never fight about these things because she has surrendered her life to Christ. I've surrendered my life to Christ I don't fight about it she don't, because we're on the same page. What I'm trying to say is two people can be deeply in love with each other and want to strangle each other because they have different beliefs about how you should raise your kids, about how you should handle this and that. And I'm just saying there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of decisions in marriage. You're going to be married 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. You're going to be in conflict all the time. So God isn't saying, don't marry someone that doesn't have the same beliefs that you have. He's not saying that because he's being mean to them or he's being mean to you. He's not even saying that because he thinks you're better than them. Don't marry one of those people. He's not doing it for that reason either. You know why he's doing that? Because he loves them and he loves you. He's doing it because he loves them just as much as he loves you. He's doing it for their benefit as much as he's doing it for your benefit. Because in the same way that you feel like we can't do that, and you're fighting, you're resisting, and you feel like they're ruining everything because you know God, and you're going to do it God's way no matter what. In the same way that you feel like he's ruining you or she's ruining you, do you know what they feel? They feel like you're doing the same thing to them. You're forcing all this stuff on me that I don't even believe. And who are you to tell me how to live my life? But it's different when by my own free will, I've chosen to go for God. And my wife, for example, by her own free will, has chosen to go for God. And then we meet each other, and we've already made that. I'm not going for God because she's forcing me into it. She's not going for God because I'm forcing her into it. It's something I've decided. She decided. And now, that's a good match for marriage. That's a good match for marriage because both people are on the same page. So, God's not trying to be mean to you. He's not trying to be mean to anybody. What He's trying to do is save you from a lot of hell on earth. A lot of hell on earth. Why? He wants you to be compatible. What makes marriage great when you're compatible? What makes marriage miserable when you're not compatible? And this is one of the big areas of compatibility. So, God loves you, God loves everybody. But he does want you to have the best. And when I say you, I'm not just talking to people that have said I've surrendered to Jesus. He wants you to have the best. And you can't have the best if you're incompatible with the other person. You're going to be fighting each other. You're going to be hating each other. Two people that loved each other so much and now that they're at each other's throats, that wasn't God's purpose behind it. God loves people, but he wants you to have oneness. He wants you to be unified he wants you to be emotionally unified, spiritually unified, when it comes to sex, when it comes to every area. His desire is for you to have some sort of compatibility. He wants what's best for you. It's for your benefit that he says these things. Now, there is something quite different when two people that are both believers get married, like they both believe the same thing and they get married. I see the statistic and I'm going to tell you, I don't believe it. I don't believe that's It's from Marriage and Divorce Magazine. But here's what it said. When two people are both Christians, it's a committed Christian, people that have committed their life, and they go to church together, and their habit is on a daily basis, not that everybody's going to do it every day, but on a daily basis, they pray together and read the Bible together. It says the divorce rate for people that do that is one out of like a 1,000. I thought, that can't be true. When two people go to church together, you know, the national thing is one out of two people end up in divorce. When you go to church together, it becomes one out of three. That's better than one out of two. But I have a hard time believing that it would be one out of a thousand because that would mean that it would basically mean that only a one out of a thousand people that call themselves Christians actually pray together and read the Bible together on a regular basis. And either Christians just don't do that I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, you do it your way, I do it my way, and we never come together. Either that's real Christianity in America, or the statistic is way off. But I do want to look at the idea that when two people go to church together, instead of getting divorced one out of two people, it's now one out of three. So even just from that alone, there's some sort of unity going on. That's one area that there's less incompatibility So there's something about, and I'm sure if they're praying together and reading the Bible together, it's going to be less than one out of three. But what I'm trying to show is it's proven, there's evidence out there that when people are united, the more you're united spiritually, the less you're likely to go through divorce. You know, is it one out of a 1,000? Is that true? I don't know that. But you read survey after survey after survey. The more you're united in your faith, the less chance you are to have a divorce. And not just with Christians. It can be two Jews. It can be two Muslims. It can be two Hindu people. It's when you're with someone that believes the same as you do, you're less likely to have a divorce. So that's important to know. But you can be united and compatible spiritually, and it doesn't mean that you're going to have a happy marriage. It does not mean that, because there's way more to that. The second one is, have life purpose compatibility. In Amos 3.3, 3, it says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? <laughs> Funny, yeah. Can we walk together and not agree on the direction that we're going to go? No, because I'm going that way, we haven't agreed on the direction. Can you go on a trip? Hey, let's go on a trip together. And I want to go this way, and you want to go that way. Well, that's not a trip together. What does this mean when it relates to relationships? I met this girl. She loved God. Let me tell you what. She was surrendered to God, and so was I. She was a really good person, and I was in love with her, and she was in love with me, and I believed that God wanted me to be here in L.A. and serve here, and I felt like I was to plant my life here the LA area. I grew up in Tennessee where there's a lot of people that go to church. It's the Bible belt. And in the Los Angeles area, especially in beach communities and stuff, there's only like 15% of the people on an average Sunday that would even go to any place of worship. So 85% don't. And I knew I was called into the ministry. So let's say you're a shoe salesman and you walk into an area where 85% of the people are walking barefooted. Do you go home and say, I'm not going to waste my time here. Nobody wears shoes. Or do you get on the phone and you order every pair of shoes you can find? Okay. Well, I'm one of these people. If 85% of people aren't wearing shoes, I'm on the phone. They're saying, how many shoes do you need? All of them. Everybody I see needs a pair of shoes. That's my heart. I didn't want to live in the Bible Belt. That is not what I wanted. God had changed me. And I was driven and motivated By God, I believe it's God that puts those desires in your heart. And Los Angeles is where I was driven to go to. Her dream, it's not a right or wrong thing because everybody's different. She loved living in Tennessee in the small town where she lived in the high school there where she taught. She knew I had a degree in teaching. And her dream was that I would move to that town teach in the same high school with her and we'd have a happy life together. I would not be happy. I'd be miserable. Jimmy, living in small town, Tennessee, to me, that would be hell on earth. Okay? For me. Okay? You know what was hell on earth to her? Living in L.A. This was like, you know, it was too much for her. Needless to say, we didn't get together. But you loved each other. I'm telling you, love is not enough. Love is not enough to build a happy marriage. If someone says, all you need is love, and then you have a happy marriage, they know nothing about marriage. They've never been married. That's what you hear from a single person. All of us that have been married, we learned, you need more than love. You know, it takes more than that to really have a good life together. You have to be walking together. You have to be going in the same direction. You feel like God's called you to be a teacher in the inner city. And that's your dream. And that's where your heart is. And that's how you're wired. But you fall in love with this person. And they love God. And you love God. And you love each other. And things look so good. Except for they really believe that God has called them to go to China and be a doctor in China. And that's their calling. And that's what they're driven for. And you're someone that's very uncomfortable when you leave the country. You went down to Tijuana one time and it freaked you out. And you get back as quickly as you could. There are people like that. And the love of your life, you think they're the love of your life, wants to move to China. You have to think, is that the person for me? It takes more than love to make a good marriage. And you're, you might be miserable. It could be the worst thing, you, and that person's miserable being here because this is not where they're supposed to be. You have to consider, what is my purpose in life? What does God call me to do? Where am I headed? I've got to marry someone that's on the same page where it it doesn't contradict each other. You meet a pastor. Not me, I'm taking, sorry. But you meet a pastor. Okay, now the pastor, you fall in love with this guy, and he's a good guy. As you're with him, you know, you think this guy want to marry you, but you have a job and the way you're wired and what you love doing is a Monday to Friday thing. And on the weekends, you can finally let your hair down and spend time with the love of your life, except for on the weekends, this is busiest time and he has no time for you. But you don't want to live that ministry life because that's not how you're wired you're wired and you like doing this and that and you're doing, it's a Monday through Friday thing. I don't care how much. And if you're a pastor, probably your income's gonna be meager. And maybe you have dreams of more than that. And there's certain areas that you would rather live in than others and it, it's important enough to you that it's gonna make a difference. No matter how much you like that pastor, no matter how, you know, it doesn't mean that he's the person that you should be marrying Is more than love. It has a lot to do with your purpose in life, your calling. What are you supposed to do? Can that work together? I know of people that, you know, she has the dream of success. She wants a nice home, nice things in a nice neighborhood. And there's nothing wrong with that. But she falls in love with a musician who's in and out of work. And he loves that lifestyle. He loves being, have, spend the night at his friend's house on the couch for two weeks, because he doesn't know where he's going to have money for a while, And he's loving life. And he has no problem with that. And she's saying, "But I'm in love with you. you've got to change. You've got to get a different kind of job. And if you try to force him to do something different, he's going to be miserable. And when he's miserable, you're going to be miserable. And if he tries to force you to change, you're going to be miserable. And you're going to make him miserable as well. So God is saying, it takes more than love to have a good marriage. It takes more than love. You have to be compatible. You have to be compatible. What's, if, I, if I was single and I was thinking, hey, I want to get married someday, the first thing I would do, other than commit my life to God, if you hadn't done that, is I would clearly understand what my life purpose is. Why do I exist? What has God called me to do on this planet? And before I would ever date somebody, like seriously, I would need to find out if my life calling matches theirs. You know, because it takes more than love to have a happy marriage. In 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 32 and 33, it says, One of the advantages of staying a single adult is you can have undistracted service. Because nobody's trying to pull you in a different direction. So then you say, okay, spiritually I'm compatible with this person. We're both going for God. We're both uh, agreeing on the Bible. We're there. That's fantastic. That's a good start. And then we have a lifestyle like the, the my life purpose and her or his life purpose go together. It goes together. Like it doesn't, there's no friction there. You can have that and you can say, now, finally, uh, I can have a happy marriage. But it takes more than that to have a happy marriage. Uh, Number three is have personal compatibility. In other words, the more you have in common, the smoother the selling. The more you don't have in common, the more rough seas you're going to have, the more strife you're going to have, the more chaos you're going to have. It's just common sense. If you and your fiancé have major differences, then you're going to have major fights. If you have major differences, you're going to have major unhappiness. But if you and your fiance have minor differences, you're going to have minor fights. If you have minor differences, you're going to have minor unhappiness. And there's a hundred factors to consider, hundreds. You know, I mentioned earlier the background, you know, the family background. You love this person, they love you. You love God, they love God. Your life purpose, what you do for where God's called you, is fine with theirs. It, it's, it's meshing well, okay? But the way you handle conflict is you feel like, I'm gonna get with this person and we're gonna talk it out and let's work out this issue. But the way they handle conflict in their background, the way that they've learned, is they get angry and they fight for what they believe. And they're fighting you. And you feel beat up and hurt. And then you get another conflict. And you hand it one way and they fight you. And you feel beat up and hurt. Let me tell you what. How many conflicts are you going to have in marriage? Lots. How many times do you need to feel beat up and hurt before you're going to want out of that marriage? It's something you should have dealt with before you got married. If they handle conflict different than the way you handle conflict and you can't live with that, then don't live with it. Don't get married to that person. You know, after you're married, it's you're in it. You've made a vow to God for better or for worse. That's why it's so important. Now is the time before you get married to do that. Let me share something with you if you're single. Some of the things I'm saying might sound to you like, ooh, that's pretty strict, let me tell you what, the things I'm saying right now, the, the things I'm talking about, it's crushing, not the single people, it's crushing the married people in this room. The married people in this room right now, they're hearing what I'm saying, and you know what they feel? They feel crushed, Ugh. because most married people, what I'm saying is the life that they're living, and they're saying, oh, I thought, if you're married, let me tell you this, I do have good news. So you have to keep coming. I have, good, I have great news. You have to keep coming. Because I'm going to show you that. But for your single people, I'm just telling you, what I'm saying isn't crushing you unless you disobey it. And <laughs> it could crush you if you ignore it, is what I'm saying. But I'm saying it for your benefit to save you from all the problems that we who got married have gone through, you know. Uh, you have to... Sometimes you have a person that's very ambitious and... They fall in love with someone that has no ambition. If that's going to be an issue to you, if you're going to be angry at them all the time because you have ambition, they don't, you have ambition, they don't, if you're going to, then why would you marry them? Because you're going to get angry at them all the time. How many years of feeling angry at them does it take before you want out of the marriage? So what I'm saying is before you say I do, you, you work those things out. And if they can't work out, then, you know, well, maybe this isn't the person. There was another woman that I was in love with. She loves God. I love God. I loved her. She loves me. And uh, our life purposes were working great. They, they would have been, like, wonderful together, okay? But our child-rearing views were so different because I'm not saying who's right or wrong, okay? Because everybody's different, Okay. Here's how I deal with children. I believe in one-time obedience. I tell them one time, if they don't listen, I'll give them a, you know, and now they're all ears, and I tell them again, and then they listen the second time. That's what I do. Okay, that's me. And my kids grow up well-behaved, doing great. My sons are great kids. They're in the back there. They're great kids. And you know what happened? What happened? Because I did that when they were this high, there was no fights at this high. It was already done because they already learned how to be respectful. So that's my philosophy. That's how I deal with things. This woman, great person, lovely person, but her way of thinking was different. For her to strike a child, I I would just strike them in the behind. I'm not talking about hitting a child. But for her to strike a child in any way felt like child abuse. Okay? That's how it felt to her. Okay, if it feels, come on, if you feel like that's child abuse, you better not do it. You better not do it. And if you feel like that's child abuse, you better not marry someone that does that. Right? Because you're going to feel like they're abusing their child, your child, your son or your daughter. And for me, I... I believe that that's the healthiest way to go for long-term success. You can have two people that love God. And you know what? She was trying to obey God. This wasn't something about who's obeying God and who's not. I'm just saying people are different and they handle things different ways. And I would never be comfortable if she felt like I was a child abuser because I don't think I am at all. And she, can you see how one issue, you can have two people that love God, two people that love each other, but one issue can say, we can't coexist like this. We can't be married to each other unless one of our views changed. And neither of our views were changing, so we needed to end that relationship because it was never going to, we couldn't find happy ground there. You want to find that out before you're married, not after how much involvement you have with the in-laws. You know, I moved away from my in-laws and her in-laws to solve that problem. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> um, people desire verbal intimacy. You know, they want to hear the words, I love you. And some people don't ever say that. That can be a problem. How you handle anger. A hobby's not bad or good. But let's like, say, I love sports. And every time there's sports on TV, I watch it. What does that mean? I'm watching TV nonstop. And if I love that and my wife actually wants to have time with me, we're going to have a conflict. Because a hobby that's not bad or good, it's not immoral or moral, can be bad for our marriage. You know, whatever the hobby is, anything that takes you away and the other person feels hurt by it. Sexual drive. If sex is important to you and you marry someone that they're not comfortable with sex or it's not something that they're excited about, you're probably going to have a problem. And you might hold it inside and act like it's not a problem, but you're probably having big problems inside. Finances. If you're someone that does not go into debt and somebody else is like spending money wild and you feel like it's out of control, you're going to have a problem. And if you marry that person, you're going to fight and fight and fight. Don't think you're going to marry them and change them. Those things have to change before you say I do so that you can have a good marriage. What I'm trying to say here is it takes more than love to have a good... That's a Hollywood Hollywood idea of who do you marry? You know, well, if I'm sexually attracted to them, if I'm head over heels, if I'm infatuated with them, and she's a delicious babe, the answer must be yes. That's Hollywood. Sometimes the heavenly mistake is people that do the opposite... They just say, you know, I'm waiting for God to bring me that perfect person. That's not going to work either, because there is no perfect person. But there's uh, mistakes that we make out there when we think in these different ways. I mentioned sex. One of the hard things to, for people is in our culture here. It wasn't like it wasn't hard in the, back, in the past so much, but in today's world, um, the idea that when the Bible talks about that sex is supposed to be for marriage only, that's a shock. How do we know if we're compatible if sex is for marriage? What I've learned is if someone can talk about sex openly and honestly, that's healthy. The the red flags have to come up if you can't, if someone can't talk about it. If someone can't talk about it, that's where you're going to have some problems. Okay? But when people have sex with each other, at the beginning... They're not compatible, whoever they are. I, I know from my experience, the more you get used to that person, the more you feel compatible. At the beginning, sometimes it's strange and, and, you know, you don't know each other, you don't react, you know, but as you get used to that person, it becomes better and better. So compatibility with sex is something that's learned within that person, But you say, I want to be healthy sex-wise. You need to be able to talk about it. So let's say I'm single. And I want to have a great future with uh, somebody. What I would do first is, if you haven't done this, I'd first surrender my life to Jesus. I'm going to do it your way. I'm just going to do it his way no matter what it is. Because I have a trust that he's going to work that out. Then the next thing I would do is I would make sure I know what my life purpose is. Okay? Then I would make sure that I'm in a church where I'm learning stuff, where I'm learning stuff. But because I'm single and I want to get married someday, you know what I would do? I'd be committed to this church because I I don't think you're going to learn anywhere better than here. But I would get involved in some other churches that have single groups to meet people. I'd meet people here. I'd meet people there. I don't think it's why. If If you're called to get married and you feel like you want to get married, Sitting at home and waiting for the person to show up isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. So what you want to do is meet people, get to know people, build friendships, and you have a better chance at finding a person that's right for you. And then uh, I would get to know everything about them that I can in the past, about their past, about how they respond to things you know, child rearing, just everything. I would try to get to know everything about that person. So that way, uh, if I choose, like, I think this is the right person, I'm doing it with wisdom and knowledge. And then I get premarital counseling before I set or do. I say, before we get married, let's go to counseling. I would do the steps. And chances are you're going to have a lot healthier marriage using wisdom behind it. I want to finish with this. Isaiah 50, 11 says, some of you want to light your own fires and make your own light. So go walk and trust your own light to guide you. But this is what you'll receive, a place of pain. Hear that? Some people, you want to do it your way. And God says, you have that freedom, but you're going to receive pain. But then God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. So with that, my desire is for single people here to have the best marriages you can have. And it starts with understanding it takes more than love. You need to be, the more compatible you are in in every way possible, the better chance you have of having a good, healthy marriage. Don't just go by that loving feeling. Because that's what everybody does, and that's why half the... You know, that's you want the loving feeling for sure, but don't just go by that loving feeling because you, you have the ability to have that loving feeling with a million different people out there. So make sure that you have as much compatible with them as you can so you can have a happy, healthy, good marriage. Be on the same page spiritually. Be on the same page in raising children. Be on the same page in how you use your finances. Be on your, the same page on all the things that are important to you. Be on the same page. Now, for people that are already married, most of us, when we get married, we're young. And nobody taught this to us. We weren't on the same page. And we're in those incompatible marriages. (laughs) Most of us struggle with that. Like the things, yeah, that's our marriage. Did I make a mistake? Did I do the wrong thing? There's just a lot that we didn't know. We were young. No one taught us. We just didn't know. But if you're married, let me promise you this. I'm going to give you tools over the next few weeks, and you're going to, whatever your situation is, I promise you, you can have a great, great marriage. The answer isn't divorce. The answer is, okay, we, made, we got married without knowing all this stuff. What are the tools that we can have today to bring our love life back together like it, like it could be and should be? And there's things you can do, I promise you. Uh, uh, And I feel sad that some people up here have gone through such a hard, hard time in your marriage. I feel sad about that. But I feel glad that it doesn't have to stay that way. There are things that you can do to make it great. So let me close this with a prayer. Dear God, we want the best in our life, God. And we know that you want to give us the best. So, God, we surrender our life to you. Lord, If we're single here today, Lord, we're making a commitment to get to know the person and really make sure we're compatible before we say I do so we can have a healthy marriage. And if we're married already and we feel like, oh, I wish I would have learned this before, all my problems are because I didn't know this. Lord, I pray that you'll be an encouragement to the married couples and that they'll be encouraged to know that over the next few weeks, we're going to hit those things to make their marriage great as well. And we want to thank you for that in advance. By faith, we're believing, okay. There's more coming, and my marriage is going to be great, and we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.